So in Psalm 133, if you're not there, open there. I encourage you to open there in your Bible or scroll there in your device. And uh, before uh, our family moved to Corvallis in the, at the end of 2019, December 26, 2019, we moved into our house on the Angenie Circle. We lived in a place called Kirkland, Washington. Uh, Kirkland is a little lake town just east of Seattle. It's a mere seven-mile drive from the University of Washington. But during traffic, it's like an hour. LAUGHTER uh, The lake that separates Seattle and Kirkland is called Lake Washington. It was on Lake Washington in the 1930s that the boys in the boat honed their rowing skills. Have you read The Boys in the Boat? Yes, I see that hand. I see that hand. That's good. Boys in the Boat. uh, I think if I had a recommendation of of a good vacation read, you should read this book. The Boys in the Boat, um, uh, the author Brown, um, in his book, describes the result of all the practices that they had in, the, in those cold, dark winters, preparing to beat their, their rival, UC Cal uh, Berkeley. There is a thing that sometimes happens in rowing that is hard to achieve and hard to define. Many crews, even winning crews, never really find it. Others find it, but can't sustain it. It's called swing. It only happens when eight oarsmen are rowing in such perfect unison that no single action by anyone is out of sync in those of all the others. It's not just that the oars enter and leave the water precisely at the same instant. Sixteen arms must begin to pull. Sixteen knees must begin to fold and unfold. Eight bodies must begin to slide forward and backwards. Eight backs must bend and straighten all forward and at once. Each minute action, each subtle turning of wrists must be mirrored exactly by each oarsman from one end of the boat to the other. Only then will the boat continue to run unchecked, fluidly and gracefully between poles of the oars. Only then will it feel as if the boat is part of each of them, moving as if on its own. Only then does pain entirely give way to exaltation. Rowing then becomes a kind of perfect language, poetry. That's what a good swing feels like. Well, swing is the unity of the crew team. It's hard and rare, but not impossible. It's preceded by a common goal, a common commitment. Only uh, practice, practice, practice uh, will make perfect. And if you've ever tried rowing at the gym, have any of you ever tried rowing at the gym? Yes. You will know how hard this actually must be. You can only begin to imagine. Unity, but however, friends, unity among God's people is it's similar to this. At least it, it's the maintaining of unity of God's people that's similar. It, it, it requires a common goal, a common commitment, and practice, practice, practice. Not like Alan Iverson said, we're talking about practice. No, this is the practice of unity. But unity among God's people is also different. Unity is unlike swing in that the members of the crew team produce it as they work together. The members of the crew team 
the members of the church, unlike the members of the crew team, don't produce unity. Unity among God's people, brotherly unity, sibling unity, as opposed to sibling rivalry, is produced by God and is given as a gift from God to his people. So maybe you're used to sibling rivalry. You had brothers growing up. You definitely are familiar with sibling rivalry. I didn't have brothers growing up, but I have sons. So now I'm introduced to sibling rivalry. Uh, You might think that sibling rivalry is the norm. But the Bible in Psalm 133 says among God's people, sibling unity is actually to be the norm. Brotherly, sisterly unity is a gift to be received from God. Unlike the reward produced by practice, 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 rowing together, it's a gift from God, not a reward to be earned. And because it is a gift to be received and enjoyed, it is then actually worth fighting for, worth working for, worth fighting for. So we're going to see in Psalm 133 how that is the case. This beautiful poem of King David. This is the Song of Ascents by King David. And he says, Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers and sisters dwell together in unity. Now, school's about to start. And I'm going to do something a little bit different. I'm going to, I'm going to walk you through my process of, of looking at a text and coming to the result of a sermon. So school's about to start. You guys, we can all put our thinking caps on, right? God has told us to love him with our mind as well as our heart and soul. So we're, we're just going to work through this text together. One of the principles of biblical interpretation or hermeneutics is that every text has a context, Not every context of every text is immediately available to us like this one. We don't know exactly which part of David's life uh, he's talking about, he's referring to, or when he wrote this poem exactly. But we do know that in David's life, there was a time when the kingdom of Israel was divided. When Saul died and David became king, Judah had him as king in Hebron, but the rest of Israel was divided. They, they didn't want another king besides Saul. And it took a while. It took some years before the kingdom was united. So David knew something about disunity in the kingdom, in the family of God, in the people of God. Every text has a context. Maybe this is the context. Israel, dis, disunited. Uh, not united uh, as, they, as God had wanted them to be. Every text has a context. We don't know exactly what this one is, but something like that. And once they become united, the king, God's king, and ruling in God's place says, oh, how good and pleasant it is when brothers and sisters dwell together in unity. But every text also has a structure. And a structure reveals the emphasis Every text has a structure, and the structure of that text reveals the emphasis of that text. And that emphasis of the text is the main point of what that text wants us to say. And that's what we try to do every Sunday. We, if you're preparing for uh, teaching the Bible, a Bible study, or, or you're preaching uh, up here on Sunday, we want to see what the text has said, because we believe the author, God himself, working through human authors, has given us structures 
in the text to reveal his emphasis because he has a message and the message of whatever text it is, we want it to be the point of the passage because we believe God's word speaks to us in that way. So what is the structure of this text? Well, the first thing we, we need to realize is that uh, what, what, the lang- what the kind of language this text is, what kind of genre of literature this text is. Does anyone know the genre of this text? Genre is like history or uh, letter or narrative or poetry. Go ahead, go ahead, say it out. What is it? Yes, poetry. Yes, several of you have said it. It's poetry. It's a poem. It doesn't rhyme like an English poem, roses are red, violets are blue. It it rhymes in its thought. It's called Hebrew parallelism. And so in this text, David is giving us parallel thoughts. And it's rhyming thoughts instead of words. Now verse 1 says, let's just look at it. Verse 1 says that unity is good and pleasant. It's good and pleasant. What's another word for good and pleasant? What's another word for that idea? Well, I think it could be blessing. Blessing. Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. Sibling rivalry is not a blessing. My dear friends who are children here, it's not a blessing. Okay, <laughs> so if you, if you have rivalry, can I get an amen from the parents, by the way? Amen. Uh, if you have rivalry with your brothers and sisters, whether it's at home or in the church, it's not a blessing. But when you have unity, it's good and pleasant. It's not, this isn't just a duh moment, okay? This is, uh, ever since the Garden of Eden, there's been sibling rivalry. The first sibling rivalry ended in the death of a brother, But now, the king has come. He's ruling in God's place, over God's people, in God's way. And sibling unity, brotherly unity, has come. And he says it's good and pleasant. So, number one, uh, sibling unity is a blessing. Verses 2 and 3a. Now, you'll notice verses 2 and 3a use something called like a simile. Right? It's, it is like what brotherly unity is like, the precious oil on the head running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. It is like the dew of Hermon, which falls in the mountains of Zion. So sibling unity, this unity, this family unity that David is writing a poem about, he says is like oil on being poured on the priest's head. A simile uses like or as to compare certain things, and is comparing it with oil on the priest's head. It goes from the head to the beard to the collar. Sibling unity is also like dew on Mount Hermon, which falls down to Mount Zion. It brings its water down to refresh the people who are in that land that need it. So, at this point of our Bible study, you may have questions you do not understand how, how oil being poured on someone's head is a blessing. It sounds like a mess, doesn't it? If my kids poured oil on each other's head and said, Dad, it's a blessing. It's not a blessing. It's a mess. I got to clean up. It doesn't sound like, so you have questions. You come to the text and you're like, what is this all about? I'm not really sure. But we believe this is God's word. It's profitable for us, so we're going to keep going. 
How is it like the, the dew from Mount Hermon, the snowpack on the mountain as it comes down? Well, maybe we, we can picture that a little bit more, but we set our questions aside as we're just observing the text. What does it say? What, what, is, what does it say? And then we'll ask what it means. Set those questions aside, and the sibling unity is a blessing. And it's like these two things, oil coming down, water coming down, falling down to the people. And then the end of verse 3 tells us that all of this, you didn't notice it, look at verse, the end of verse 3, all of this is because, or for, for, because the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. So there's a blessing in the first verse on the top, and there's a blessing in the third verse on the tail, and it is in the images in verses two and three that we see a repetition that, that I wonder if you saw. Let's, let's read it again and see if you see the repetition that helps us see what, what the point of comparison in the simile is. Behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It is like the precious oil on the head running down on the beard of, on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes, like the dew of Mount Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. And there's the repetition, the point of comparison in the images. In both of the images, it's running down, running down, falling down. And that repetition tells us something about what the author is emphasizing. And that is the blessing of unity and life eternal come down to us from God. They're not earned in any way. They are gifts of grace from, from God on high. Every good and every pleasant gift is coming down from God, from the Father of lights, St. James tells us. It's good. It's pleasant. It's a blessing. Now, this is a very pedantic way, attempt to show you my work, this is, this is how I got to the emphasis that I'm, that I'm gonna spend the rest of our time trying to communicate to you. When we see God's blessing as a gift to be received and not a reward to be earned, we will work hard to maintain unity and enjoy eternal life. This is what God desires of us, friends. Now, maybe you're here as a non, maybe you're not a Christian and you're here and, and your view of Christianity is that eternal life and blessing from God is earned. Maybe that's why you're here. You're trying to earn it from God. But friends, eternal life and the, the, the blessings of the Christian life can never be earned by us. They're not something we can work for. They come down, they come down, they fall down to us from God on high. God in his infinite grace has given us, has given, offered the blessing of eternal life to all of those who will repent and turn to him. To those who will turn to him from their sins and seek forgiveness through him and him alone. And it is, it is this thing this offering, this blessing that comes down from God that produces unity in a church like this. So, 
The question is, how do we maintain this unity? If unity is a gift from God coming down, coming down, falling down to us like, like the dew of Mount Hermon, how do we maintain this unity? The first question we must ask is, I think then, what is the unity? Am I the only one that wants to know that, by the way? You, none of you look like you. You're like, what, what are you talking about? But I think a lot of us think um, of unity, and, and maybe you, you know it when you see it, or we have different definitions in our mind, but unity is something uh, that is God-given but has definition to it. Now, even now, I'm questioning whether I should say this next thing or not. Um, Queen Latifah wrote a song called U-N-I-T-Y. Don't Google that song, okay? But in that song, she's asking black men to stop referring to black women with disrespectful names and to stop treating them like me. And her song has a lot of truth in it. It's a good call for men to treat women in the proper way. And she says, that is unity, U-N-I-T-Y. That's a unity. <laughs> every, every young boy with a phone is going to go Google that. Parents, don't let them do it, okay? Uh, now, that is a certain kind of unity that, that human beings, uh, by God's grace, should extend to one another. Men should be extending that kind of grace to somebody else. But as Christians... Uh, I think he's calling for a more expansive kind of, to expand our definition of unity, of what that means, to maybe clarify it a little bit. Because I think Christians have similar descriptions of unity, uh, but it, I think that's actually a gift of grace from God, common grace from God, and it's not the kind of unity that is being talked about here in Psalm 133. It's become a Christian virtue to be nice. Not never to bring up disagreement you might have with somebody else. But that's not unity, friends. You can be nice and not a Christian. I've, I've met plenty of non-Christians that are nice, sometimes nicer than Christians. And certainly calling people names and being contentious is wrong, but this is not the kind of unity the Bible is calling for. Brotherly unity that is, that is good and pleasant, that's a blessing, is a spiritual unity based on God's work for us. But where do we get that from the text? How, how do we know that? Well, it's based on the image David uses to compare brotherly unity with something that's good and pleasant. It's a, it's a spiritual image. Brotherly unity of God's people is like oil running down the head of, of who? The priests of God's people, Aaron. This is a spiritual image. It's, it's meant to evoke spiritual uh, language in your mind. What does a priest do? Why is he being anointed? And what does he do for God's people? What does he do between God and his people? Well, the image says it's running down his beard. It's called, oil was a, a symbol of prosperity and abundance, especially of, of God's provision. And the priest was ministering God's salvation in his temple. He was the mediator between God and man. He, he was mediating a relationship between God and man, and the oil symbolized God's abundant provision of salvation running down the priest's head. 
as he's, as he's, he's mediating the salvation to God's people, his chosen people through his chosen means to save. Their unity was in the worship of God who saved them to be his people. This is the spiritual unity that he's calling for. Not, not, just, a, not just a we all get along and we never have arguments. Not, not that. That can be good at times too, but it is this spiritual unity in the salvation of God's people by God himself through God's chosen means. God's king is, is reigning and God's priest is anointed to minister that salvation to his people. And this is the unity that binds us together. Can't be manufactured, friends. It, it's a unity bought for us by God himself. The priest was given to God's people after God rescued his people from Egypt, from their slavery, and brought them to the other side. He redeemed them, and then he gave them the, the law and said, because I've redeemed you, obey this law. And, and within that law was, was the priestly system and the sacrifices that pointed to, to a greater sacrifice one day. The priest, Aaron, the priest, would only point to a, a sacrifice that would once for all save God's people, redeem them. And is in that, that good news of that redemption that we are unified? It's, it's in that good news that allows us to partner with other churches in this area. It's that good news that unifies our church as we come and around the gospel of, of Jesus Christ every Sunday. The one who did not grasp onto his godness, but emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant and being found in the likes of man. He gave himself up even to the point of death, death on a cross. That's our unity, dear friends. That, that's the unity that we have that binds us together as God's people. So if that's our unity, how do we work to maintain this unity that God has given us? Well, it can't be manufactured. It has to be given to us by the Spirit's work in our heart. But it can be maintained. In Ephesians chapter four, it says, be, let us be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. How, how do we do that? Well, you made a good step this morning by showing up to church a communion of the redeemed saints showing up together, being in the same place together, worshiping the same God, singing the same songs, hearing the same scriptures, praying the same prayers, and taking one loaf of bread together helps us remember that we are unified in Christ, what he's done for us. Just showing up. Showing up. And then afterwards, Maintaining that unity by, by talking about that unity that we have in the gospel. We have uh, a book club with a couple guys on 6.30 on Thursday mornings, and we were talking about this a little bit in our, in our conversations about going beyond our superficial relationships with one another at church and, and going on to, to more deeply spiritual relationships. Nothing that's contrived or fake, but just asking good questions. Cameron encouraged us, just why don't you, the next time, why don't, why don't we just ask what, what you got out of this, what, what your friend got out of the sermon? Just questions like that. 
Now, friends, this, this is what we can do. We can show up together like you've done. Thank you. You've encouraged me this morning. The, the work of Christ in your hearts has already encouraged me. You can, you can have spiritual conversations about what God is doing. Let the, the, let the word reverberate in our hearts as it works among us. This image, though, friends, is uh, some commentators believe that it's, uh, it has some, some baptismal imagery as well. As, as Aaron was uh, anointed, so in our baptisms, we are, in, in one sense, anointed. We are, we, are, we, are, we are shown to be in God's family through his death, burial, and resurrection. Our sins have been washed away. We have been cleansed by Jesus Christ, not through the waters of baptism, but through the blood of Jesus Christ. And it is in our baptism, actually, that reminds us another way we can work to maintain the unity, and that is to fight sin. One of our incoming members, Axel, he's not here this morning, but I did ask him about using his story in You'll be able to, members, you'll be able to read his story uh, in October when we have our, our members meeting, but Axel grew up in a Christian home um, and he thinks he became a Christian at a young age, uh, at least said a prayer, and then had some serious sin he was fighting. And he told me, he told me and as he was relating his story, as, as, as a lot of us do, that he tried to fight his sin alone. It's just like, if I can just, I'll just fight this alone, it'll be okay. And Axel then, you know, he, got, he thought, well, this, this isn't working, so I'll, I'll get, like, maybe if I got an accountability partner, that will, that will help me. So he did that, and it still, it wasn't. He would hide things from his accountability partner and his sins. And, and then he said, when, when Christ got a hold of his heart and and he went into the waters of baptism. It struck him that as he looked out on all the people at Good Shepherd Church in Gresham, he said, these are all my accountability partners. This is, these are my people, and, and they're going to help me fight my sin as I'm going into the waters of baptism and coming up again. I, it's a reminder that I'm a new person in Christ, and I have union with all of these people. Friends, that's what one of the things baptism does for us. Our unity uh, is maintained as we fight our sin, as we fight it together. Friends, it's, it's not, our unity is not based on the Beavers winning or losing football games. They won last night. Go Beavs. Go Beavs, yes. <laughs> that'll, that'll bring them out. Okay. Uh, it's not based on whether you even went to OSU or University of Oregon or some California school or, or UW. It, it is based on your union with Christ. And, and, and we can have people that have gone to different schools and still have unity. It is not based on personality or, or interest. It's based on something that transcends all of that and yet unites God's people who are different. There are people here that I've grown to love dearly over the last four years that are so different than me, that they play video games. I don't play video games, but that's okay. I'm not better than them, but I've, I've grown to love them because our union has been based on something different than that. There are friends here that have introduced me to Brandon Sanderson. I didn't think I liked fantasy, but I really do now like fantasy. But even if I didn't, our union, our unity would be based on something totally different than that. 
And God intended for Israel, though, and he intends for us to be a nation of priests, ministering to other, one another the graces that we have received from God. Exodus 19.6 tells us that God told his people Israel, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to Israel, Moses. You shall be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And Israel, while they did that at times, failed. And God says through First Peter, in Peter, through Peter in First Peter 2, 9 through 10, he said, Israel wasn't the final plan. He he had a bigger people. Not just, not just one race of people, but people from every tribe, tongue, and nation would come together in the church. And here's what Peter says to the church, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into this marvelous light. Once you are you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Oh, dear church family, you are a kingdom of priests, a, a, a holy nation to God that you might minister out of this holy brotherly unity, sisterly unity that we have to other people, but to each other. Brotherly unity is not only good spiritually for you and others, but it is, it's refreshing for all the people of God, like the dew on Mount Hermon. Mount Hermon was the tallest mountain in, in, around Jerusalem, and from May to October in, in, uh, around Jerusalem, Mount Zion, they didn't get any precipitation. But Mount Hermon got 60 inches of precipitation a year. The peak was covered in snow. There was a, a snowpack for two-thirds of the year providing sweet water for the, for the hills below. It would, it would come down, down, down to refresh the weary travelers coming to Jerusalem. Oh, weary traveler. Maybe you're tired on this journey of life and it's been dangerous for you. God has grace for you in his people from his king, that he wants to come to you like, like waters from, the, from, from Mount Hermon. Orion and I were in the Himalayan mountains last summer, and we were at altitudes that were, were dangerous for you because the sun is beating down on you, and you didn't, you didn't really know it, how, how dehydrated you would get. And when you'd come across a river that flows down from the Mount Himalayan mountains with cold water, you would stop and you'd get your, your, your water bottle that has a filter in it, and you would filter that water because uh, you needed to. But that water would refresh you, would keep you from, from being dehydrated, refresh you for the journey that you had ahead. Dear brothers and sisters, don't you want to maintain unity so that a weary traveler can come into this place with these people and be refreshed by the graces that are flowing from this place because God has brought them down. Maybe you are that weary traveler. You, the dangerous journey has been too much for you. You have felt lonely, you have felt weary, you have wept, and you have had no one to weep with you. Your friends, let this place be the place that you can be refreshed 
Friends, open up to people and your pain. We, we want to weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice. Friends, we do this, Branch Church, as we speak the truth in love to one another. We also speak the truth in love. We, we listen first. We, we listen to the pains and the sorrows that people are having, and we groan with them, and we pray with them. Friends, this has a, a, an effect on people that uh, even science tells us is good. Uh, Andy Crouch, in the book, The Life We're Looking For, tells us that as we listen and talk with grace to others, as body, soul, spirits who are made in God's image, we're actually rewiring the, the neurons in, in our brains for good. As you lend a sympathetic ear, a kind word, a proper touch, a hug, a hand, of blessing, we're helping each other. Friends, this is like the dew of Mount Hermon that comes from Mount Zion because, because God has, the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. He's commanded the blessing, life forevermore. Will you receive it? Will you maintain it, the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace in these ways? The boys in the boat ended up in Berlin in 1936 to compete in the Olympics in Germany. And the Germans were favored to win, and Hitler was in the crowd, and, and uh, the coxswain of, of the boat, he's the guy in the boat. You guys know about this? That yells, you know, at the, <laughs> at the rowers. I, I hope I'm not a coxswain, because they're kind of mean sometimes. The coxswain will help them to keep, to keep balanced and to, to keep rowing and to know when to give a little bit more, and their coxswain... During the race, glanced left, saw the German and Italian boats surging, and, and knew that somehow the boys had to go even higher, give even more than they were giving. Even as they knew they were already giving everything they had, he could see it in their faces, in, in Joe's contorted grimace, in Don Hume's wide-opened, astonished eyes, eyes that seemed to stare past him into some unfathomable void. He grabbed the wooden knockers on the tiller lines and began to bang them against the iron bark knocker boards fastened to either side of the hole. Even if the boys couldn't hear it, maybe they could feel the vibrations. They did. And they immediately understood it, it, it for what it was, a signal that they needed to do what was impossible, to go even higher. Somewhere deep down inside, each of them grasped at shreds of their will and strength and they did not know that they possessed their hearts were pumping at nearly 200 beats per minute now. They were utterly beyond exhaustion, beyond what their bodies should be able to endure. The slightest miscue by any one of them would mean catching a crab, a, a catastrophe. In the gray gloom below the grandstands, full of screaming faces, their white blades flickered in and out of the water, and they won. They crossed the finish line, and they won the 1936 Olympics to the sheer delight in their exhaustion to the sheer delight of the Americans and to the dismay of the Germans. Christian, we will not cross the finish line of this life out of sheer grit and determination. We will get there by the sheer grace and love of God. Friend, you have life forevermore because of him. It is that life that brings us into the unity with one another, lets us work just as hard as the boys in the boat to maintain the unity of the Spirit, but by the Spirit's power and his work because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let us go on to greater unity, dear brother and sister. Let us go on. Fight our sin because of our common goal, 
the glory of Jesus Christ.